Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Zach. Dina. Yo, welcome back, everyone. We're here with another episode of A Little More Good. Thanks for tuning into the show. As always, appreciate you being here. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you as well. Yeah. We're just catching up, telling some stories. That's what we do. Telling stories, and that's kind of the central theme of uh, this week's podcast. Yeah. With with the, the maestro of storytelling, Oof, yes. Amanda Lee Smith. Dude, it's a good one. So, okay, first... Before we get into Amanda okay. and all of her amazingness, we were just kind of jamming, catching up, telling some stories as we do. Yeah. And, um, okay, I'm going to let you tell a story, but I'll just kind of set the table a little bit. I texted you earlier this week. Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite uncles, Uncle Ron. Shout out to Uncle Ron. Yeah. For those, if you know, you know. Um, Uncle Ron's like this amazing pickleball player, athlete, extraordinaire um runner poet inspiring person had a juice bar in the 80s in qualcomm beach just a man of the times you know yeah so he's always talking about pickleball and i'm like okay if my favorite uncle is into pickleball it's like the fastest growing sport in north america um maybe i should give pickleball a chance so yeah. i text dean as i do all things yo dean we should play pickleball and uh you're like yeah let's do it Let's play pickleball. Anyway, so we're talking about pickleball before the pod, and uh, we're both lovers of the Gulf Islands, and there's a bit of a debacle, a bit of a, some, some drama going on yeah. on Main Island over pickleball. It's pretty wild. So tell us the story. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're first of all, if you're in doubt of the uh, popularity and influence of pickleball, if you dismiss it as some sort of you know, maybe elementary school, high school game or something that is played by the elderly. It, uh, it is in an episode of keeping up with the Kardashians. Like, so it's on the Kardashians. Pickleball has made it. Damn. Folks. Pickleball has arrived. Um, but yeah, so, so one of the local Gulf islands here, uh, main Island, they had like a bit of a, 
spicy situation unfold with pickleball. There's basically like, uh, and it's funny, the reason why we brought this up is I said, oh, this summer when we were over on Maine, we saw, I was like, yeah, there's like a nice tennis court there. Like, that'd be great. You could do some like pickleball on the island. And you're like, did you hear? (laughs) And the story is that the, uh, basically the tennis community and the pickleball community like squared off against each other not on the courts, <laughs> but over who gets to use the court. And it was like a, there's a huge kind of community battle ensued. And you have to remember like Maine is small. I think it's something like 21 square kilometers. Like it is not a big Island. And there's people who live there year round. And there's lots of people who just kind of take it in as like a, you know, summer place or like weekends or whatever, little getaway. But still there are like residents who live there and like know each other and it's community. And this is like driven a wedge in the community. The tennis players do not want pickleball players on the tennis court. And so the vote, when it was like asked, can we play pickleball? The the tennis people, like the board or whatever, they voted and said, no, there's going to be no pickleball. So what happened is community mobilization and a bunch of the pickleball players like joined the association so they could basically like outvote the tennis people. They which, usurped them. They usurped Trojan them, horse them. Which is exactly what happened. And it's turned into like a, a legitimate legal battle all the way, as you said, to the Supreme Court. It's in the Supreme Court of Canada. Like that's insane. Pickleball versus tennis, main island. <laughs> like it's crazy. It's it's the kind of thing that we were like joking. We're like, this would be so wild. You do like an investigative podcast on like, what happened? Okay, so like, and you interview the tennis people and then you interview the pickleball people. And it's absurd. But the craziest thing is like these, there were like friends and neighbors that, you know, will no longer speak to each other as a result of this. And it it's kind of... It's drawn a line in the sand, in the yeah, Gulf Island sand. Yeah, or like a line on the court. I don't know. But it's pretty wild. There's like a there's like an article that you can find if you are interested in reading more on the capitaldaily.ca and just some of the some of the uh, information and quotes that are there is like is pretty wild. Like one one person said, you know, she's in the in the AGM and sitting there, and there's floods and there's famine and you know natural disaster and a global pandemic, and this is what is like people are fighting about here is pickleball and tennis, but. Unbelievable. Passionate pursuits, these games. Can we all just get outside, get some fresh air? If it's pickleball, if it's tennis, you know, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. There should be space for everybody. I think so. I mean, maybe like limit limit court times or or sign up sheets so that it's like, you know, equal opportunity. But wow. There you go. Wild times on Maine Island. Wild times over on Maine. But what kind of racket do you hold as a political statement now? On uh, Main Island. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Are you coming for a tennis retreat or a pickleball? Damn. Match, I tell you. There we go. So there's our little little story time. Yeah. To set the <laughs> set the mood for uh, the stories that are we're about to get into with the one and only Amanda Lee Smith. Yeah. Yeah. Really hope you enjoy this one. Uh, she is a CEO and co-founder of. Um, Monday Creative Company, where it's a branding content marketing agency, and they uh, they have some incredible pillars that they stand for. They um, not only do like amazing work. Uh, if you check out their Instagram, 
uh, Monday Creative or just their website in general. You can see brands and partners that they work with and it's just aesthetically beautiful and really, really cool how they you know, choose who to partner with. And it was so fun sitting down with Amanda and just hearing more about, um, yeah, creating a brand, having a, having like a clear story that represents not only the people you're reaching out to in terms of like a demographic, but does it tell the story of the brand? Does it share the values? Um, yeah, really, really cool. Some great takeaways, obviously, if you're like a brand or a business owner, but even just as people who want to market, you know, ourselves and share the best kind of version of ourselves, it's just like a great, some really, really strong and good takeaways from her. And yeah, it was a lot of fun. Their uh, journal or magazine uh, on their website is awesome, amazing content for everybody as well. Like, uh, this is some top notch content that I feel like, you know, you'd normally have to pay to get this sort of expertise and they're just mm. sharing this uh out of the the goodwill of their 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 good hearts uh on their amazing website yeah and uh i love on their instagram it's we build brands that enhance human potential so good and she's talking about how the environment is their their number one client like yeah. they're, they're working the planet is for the planet is so it? good so just uh, makes Monday, you know, that much greater. Yeah. I know that it's Tuesday today when this comes out, but we'll just we'll just call it Monday part two. Yes, Monday part two, <laughs> aka Tuesday. Yeah. All right. Well, Amanda Lee Smith, uh, we enjoyed this conversation and we hope you guys do too. Yeah. Here we go. All right, everyone. Here we are. Very, very excited to get this episode rolling. We are joined by the one and only Amanda Lee Smith. Thank you for making the time to be here with us today. Thank you for welcoming me all the way out to Steveston. Yes, yeah. I was going to say, you, you were sharing this pre-pod. It's been a while since you've been back out this way. and yeah, It's it looks... now the mansion capital of British Columbia. <laughs> at, least, <laughs> at least number two road. Yes, yeah. there are many a mansion <laughs> to be seen. That's all right, though. People need to live in mansions, I suppose. I mean, we might talk about that later. We'll see. Yeah, that's right. Yes, yes. But we're good to, we're, we're so excited to have you. Um, amazing storyteller. You're someone who collects and creates and shares stories through your work. Um, if you're not familiar with Amanda and her work, she is one of the co-founders of uh, Mondays, which is a which is a creative agency. Like, how would we, how would we best describe it? Yeah, I call it a, a branding and content marketing agency. If I have to focus on the what yes so monday creative i mean it's the website is incredible it's beautiful i uh even just like pulling it up and looking at it seeing brands that i recognize and love but it's just put together in such a compelling and interesting way that you just kind of want to keep scrolling through and so and dig into what those stories are whether it's outdoor trends fitness running all of that stuff and so uh it's so cool seeing seeing the work that you do and getting a chance to sit down with you and talk about that but also like other things Mm -hmm. things that are beyond maybe brands Mm -hmm. and beyond um you know the work we do but not beyond the stories that we tell and that shape us so yeah here we are thank you thank you thank you for being here and maybe maybe um we can dive in why don't you share just like a little bit about who you are like if the elevator pitch of like okay someone says hey what do you do for a living how would you how would you kind of kick it off you know i've always self-identified as a writer which i think surprises people that meet me in this phase of life because i do very little writing nowadays i wrote my first book when i was seven and continued to write that that would like defined my whole career up until this point and it's actually what got me into branding cool um now i 
I am a, and I may put this in um, air quotes, a CEO of an agency. So I do a lot more like bill paying and talking to lawyers and um, also get to do a lot of like vision setting and mentoring and speaking things like this. Yeah. This is actually the really fun part of my job. But but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm a words person and um, was always moved by stories and shaped my career by crafting stories in magazines. And then when, you know, the recession happened in 2008 and nobody could make any money working in magazines or books, transitioned that to telling stories for brands. Amazing. That's so cool. And uh, I saw I was looking at, uh, you know, just doing some doing some of the background and research work that we always like to do. Something really st- stood out to me. And it's uh, a phrase that I've said, but I'd love to hear you just even unpack it. And I think you were just getting there. I think it was from your LinkedIn. You used the phrase uh, we use words to create worlds. Yes. And I love that. What does that mean to you? Like, how do you uh, how do you use words to create and create a world? Yeah. First of all. I don't know who came up with that phrase originally, but I'm going to credit one of my favorite humans, Lance Odegaard, former pastor of Artisan Church, for bringing that phrase into my life. And we've actually adopted it as one of the pillars of Monday. So we have five core pillars, our key messages. One of them is language. And the way that we express it is we use words to create worlds. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell you how many times in a single day I am spelling that out for people. it comes down to brand actually like when you think of the most compelling brands that you've ever had a connection with they're ones that create their own language um chip wilson our favorite lululemon founder uh he he uses the term linguistic abstraction and so when they created lulu he he created all of these terms when you walk into a lululemon you're a guest you you know you're served by an educator Mm -hmm. there's all of these terms that when you hear someone say it you know that they have some sort of a connection to Lulu. And I think the same can be said for a lot of brands like SoulCycle or any of those like cult following brands. Right. And um, this, I think that really jumped out to me recently. I was reading this book called Cultish. Um, I've been telling everyone about this book lately. It's about the language that is used to create cults of all sort, whether it's like multi-level marketing <laughs> or um, like actual traditional cults or brands that are cults the way that you create that super passionate loyal following is give people language to rally around right so um not that we're trying to create you know dark nefarious <laughs> cults <laughs> but at monday we're trying to create cult brands like the brands that people feel a deep emotional attachment to and that doesn't happen by having a beautiful logo it happens by having a purpose that you give powerful language too that is unique and ownable and then rallying a community around that amazing yeah that's so that's so smart you're just giving people a, an opportunity to hear a story but then also to like step into it yeah participate in the world that is being created through the brand or a company totally. or cult i suppose but, yeah. yeah i mean like the, the classic example is the landmark forum right. love it or hate it yes yes when you've been through the landmark forum you have common language it helps you move really quickly um when you're a business to, yeah. to just be like oh yeah we're all talking about the same thing I know what you mean when you say this. Mm-hmm. I don't have to explain it. Mm-hmm. Can you break down what landmark is just in yes. case <laughs> someone listening doesn't? Yeah. Uh... So it's, I think it would bill itself as like a personal development training. 
in the early days of Lululemon, everyone had to do it. And in the early days of Kit and Ace, where I used to work and the way that Zach came into my life, because I used to walk from Kit and Ace to the juice truck every single day. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, gave you a lot of my money back then. <laughs> I have no regrets about it. Um, we all had to do it. So I, I wouldn't say that I that I loved it because there's certain elements of it that are really coercive and maybe just manipulative. But I think the core of it is valuable, and it's all about taking personal ownership, not blaming people, knowing that you you have the ability to make decisions and to shape your own life, and it's not external forces that are shaping the direction of your life. Yes. Yeah. Was that was that like a new? kind of feeling or idea for you i know we talked we, we can dive into yeah. it and maybe here's the jump off point but like talked about some of the the spiritual origins and everything mm-hmm. that you that you've had was that kind of a new idea that like you can kind of have your own agency over your life and it's not necessarily like predestined yes. for you like there's a there's a trajectory and a path and you're kind of just like walking towards your inevitable destiny i think i in my gut had a sense like i've i've always been very determined and have blazed my own trail but I come from a culture, a Christian culture, where we have things that we say, like, Jesus, take the wheel, you yeah. know, like, where you're not, you're relinquishing control. Right. You're like, well, I'm just going to pray about it. And and honestly, like, if you went through your whole life just praying about it, not a lot would happen. You have to act and you have to take ownership. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So funny, we we go on these runs, Dean and I, where we call them our runs of manifestation. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't come from a religious background. And um, so I'm always really curious. And, and, and Dean, you know, uh, allows me to ask him all the questions uh, about religion and spirituality and all that. And I was asking the difference between prayer and manifestation. Ooh. And um, he was basically kind of saying, what what you were just sharing like uh kind of the accountability and the action like jesus take a wheel take the wheel versus like okay if i want jesus to take the wheel okay here are some steps that i might need to take so that jesus can take the wheel Mm -hmm. um the blind faith versus putting yourself on the path of opportunity yeah Yeah. there's something really empowering i think you know since since i've stepped away from some of the beliefs that i was raised in like it actually feels better to be like, oh, I, I get to shape this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to, you know, everyone is going to have a different starting point when it comes to like uh, a belief system mm-hmm. or an operating system that is rooted in in some mystical or even mythical understanding of how we came to be here. But I, I really find that we are like people, we are, we are meaning making machines. Like we want to find those stories and those things and create meaning. And a lot of that is us doing it ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, from, from like my chair as well, looking at like that or, original story or that foundational kind of telling of how things came to be that's birthed out of like the Judeo-Christian story. It is very much a generative creative process in which at the end of the whole event is like, okay, now you do it and keep going humans. Yeah. And so I'm always kind of yeah find it interesting when people of faith of christian of the christian mm-hmm. faith are are so passive yes and they don't want to take ownership and they don't want to take agency it's like this idea of i'll just sit back and pray and eventually god will act yeah and you know people will waste a lot of time that they could be creating and you know modeling their lives after the creator that they are believing in yeah by doing something and instead it's of almost just doing nothing. like it's almost like things like goal setting are antithetical to 
the, the certain ty- certain type of Christianity, yes. not all Christianity. Not all. And goal setting has been such an important part of my life to getting where we are now. And I don't know if I was raised with that. Like my parents are have done really well, and uh, you know they're very proactive people. They like are really generous in their community, and they volunteer and they serve. Um, but I think that the the type of faith that I grew up in doesn't necessarily prioritize. Um, like making a plan for yourself. Yeah. And it's almost like you have to have that false humility of like you work your ass off doing something and become very successful. And you're like, Oh, like I'm just so blessed. Yeah. Like God bless me. It's like, well, no, like you, you are someone who's been given like gifts and a certain skill set, and you've just like lived fully into it. And you probably hustled and you hustled. (laughs) And like, I I feel like, uh, what was it? Chariots of fire that like running movie where it talks, the guy just talks about like, I feeling born to run. And like, I feel God's pleasure when I run. Mm. It's like, we should all find the thing again, regardless of belief, we should find the thing that we can do, whether it's our work, whether it's, you know, being a, a storyteller or creative, a teacher, you know, whatever, a barista, you should find the thing that you could like feel quote unquote God's pleasure that you're doing and then do that to the best of your ability. And that is like, you don't have to be shy about that or, or do like the false humility of like, Oh no, it's it's just my, you know, blessed hashtag blessed. It's like, no man, you earn that and be proud of that. The weird thing is on the flip side, when I look at a lot of American Christianity, there is like greed built into it. So it's hard to reconcile those two sides of Christianity that I've experienced. The like, you know, prayer of Jabez, Lord, make me wealthy, whatever kind of mindset. They're like, they're, they don't align. They don't align. Well, and that's where I would just always say to someone is like, look at, look at what Jesus was all about. Yeah. Look at the principles that he stood on, stood on and modeled for us uh, as humans to live into. Mm-hmm. And like, that's never a self-serving, like just hoard wealth for yourself <laughs> no. so that you can have a mansion or whatever. <laughs> but like, what can you do with that? Yeah, sure. There are lots of people who are very wealthy because they've worked really hard yeah. and they've been very successful and they've, earned all that money but like how can you make the world a better place as a result of that yeah that's kind of for me like one of the litmus tests of of where are you going in that but yeah amen amen yes (laughs) it can be one of those things though that's tricky when when you come into a forum like landmark Mm -hmm. or you know even now there's like nexium and these different leadership Mm -hmm. movements where it's trying to compel us forward and it is like religious like people who have that background can feel like, whoa, this is like pushing up against my worldview or whatever. And so I was just curious like how that, how that resonated with you. Yeah, it, it did resonate with me. And, and partly because, um, it was a like surprise to hear it put into words, but partly because it was like, oh, this is, this is like really a nice way to actually live. If you take out the, the methodology that Landmark uses to get you there. Right. But I think some people need that little shake up to, to get sure. there where they tear you down before they build you back mm-hmm. up again. Have mm-hmm. either of you guys done it? I haven't, no. I haven't done it either. Uh, funny enough, my dad did it uh, when he was going through a bit of a hard time. And my sister worked at Lulu on a retail side when she was in her early 20s. Mm-hmm. And she really liked it. Yeah. And it was really impactful. I don't know if the impact like sustained for mm-hmm. my dad, but in that, that short period, like it did shift some things. Yeah. And I would say, like, okay, being in Vancouver, you can't not be connected to, you know, half a dozen people that have worked at Lulu or Kitney. So, mm-hmm. like, I think in my, my circle, like, the general reaction is, like, mostly positive. Like, there'll be some, like, cultish jokes, but then, like, their their takeaways are, are fairly positive. So I don't have, like, a 
a you know judgy lens of landmark <laughs> or anything i think if, if anything the opposite like i think most people i've talked to have had some really good takeaways yeah, the net it. positive is probably greater yeah 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 negative. yeah i think especially as like time has elapsed and people aren't just in the thick of it at the time i remember too because like my wife worked for lululemon seasonally mm. and it was kind of like the next thing for her was like to step in and they were like wanting her because she's got excellent leadership skills they're like come and join us right and it was like kind of that vibe of <laughs> you like, say what? with that culty look <laughs> yeah. in your eyes <laughs> yeah right like well what is it like what is this thing and she knew people who were in it and some people loved it and yeah. other people were like it kind of feels like a cult yeah it was so always it had that, wary like, of someone that was too into it yes. you know there'd be these sort of proctor people at the back and i you're not supposed to get up and go to the bathroom in the middle and i was just like fuck that i'm going to the bathroom and i'm bringing snacks in i don't yeah. care they give you a dirty look but this one time i <laughs> was getting up to go to the bathroom and this woman at the back who i'd never met just goes hi amanda and i was like oh you are the person that's been put there to keep an eye on me like there's probably like 20 people in the back and they i think they all had different people assigned to them that yeah. they had to then recruit at the end to do more mm. landmark work and that was creepy level yeah. up level yeah. up your landmarking mm-hmm. yeah. get a black belt or whatever yeah. it is <laughs> yeah um so okay going to the storytelling because yes. i think like looking at what you do looking at your website i would say like you're a master in the storytelling um and i guess two questions one i'll start with the first one like did that love for story that attachment to story the words create worlds like did that start with your your faith kind of upbringing or was it more through like other books that you were reading or was it just like your attachment to being able to create your own story yeah i i mean I'm going to give the credit to my mom who yeah. read us stories from a really, really young age. Yeah. We were probably five or six when she started reading us a C.S. Lewis books. And yes. I, like, I still remember vividly reading The Magician's Nephew and having this this picture of um, all of the scenes that she was reading to us. Yes. And then um, I have a twin sister. We did French immersion all through elementary school. And we had one teacher that kind of followed us through grades three to grades, or sorry, grade four to grade six, whose name was Maureen Friesen. I think now Maureen Armstrong. And she was like the most supportive of us in our big imaginations. Mm. Um, she would read us novels to like to the class where every day we'd read a chapter and you just couldn't wait for more. Um, Bruno and Boots was the series that we loved about these like meddlesome boys in this private school. And she also allowed us to do the most ridiculous things. My sister and I played with dolls way later than we should have. <laughs> but because we were in a really small, you know, French immersion split class and we were two of the older kids, it was like, oh, nobody was judging us for it. And so we we brought our Cabbage Patch dolls into the classroom, probably in grade five or six. Like nowadays these kids are doing TikTok dances <laughs> and we did a punk rock version of Frere Jaca with our dolls in front of our class. <laughs> and I don't know why our teacher let us do that, but bless her. She really let us, she encouraged our imaginations. Yeah. And so my, my twin sister and I, we like had this whole world, you know, with our dolls. And I think that was constant storytelling. And I started writing books. We were always encouraged to write short stories. We did bookworms every summer. You know, you like fill yeah, yeah. in all the little sections of the worm. And so stories were part of who we are. And I still will choose a novel over nonfiction pretty much any day of the week. Amazing. Um, and I loved magazines. Like I wanted to take that and and tell it 
Did you cut out sections from magazines? I used to like cut things out and put them in my like scrapbook or whatever. Absolutely. I mean, I like was borderline obsessed with Claire Danes during the my so-called life phase. So I like had a scrapbook of Claire Danes, all of her articles, (laughs) which is really embarrassing. But I was I was into her. I was like, this is my icon. That was the original mood board, you know. It was. You cut things out. It was Pinterest Pinterest. before. uh, Pinterest. You just I, cut everything out and I never got your made little glue, glue, you know, those glue, glue stick. sticks and yeah. put it all together. I'd cut out like hockey players and <laughs> yes. totally. I don't even know what else. Pogs. <laughs> <laughs> the montage, like you open your locker in high school and it's just like all of your, it's, it's your Pinterest board. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This, this is who I am. Put your posters up in your room. Totally. Yeah. For me, it was in my locker was pictures of Beck. Oh, cool. Damon Albarn. You're pretty and cool. Christian Bale. All my high school crushes. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. Christian Bale hasn't really aged. He hasn't. He no. got mean, though. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's still very handsome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Christian Bale, if you're listening, still looking good. Yeah. Be nicer, though, please. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so on the storytelling, I think like there's two lenses. There's yeah. like the personal story and there's the brand story. And yeah. I think like we can get attached to a story personally that doesn't serve us um, on an individual basis and on a brand we can kind of get stuck on a story that doesn't allow us to like grow and evolve Um, so could we kind of like break down like how to tell a story how to build a story yeah Um, I love that parallel that you just made um, so maybe before that, I want yeah. to explore that a little bit. Yeah, because let's do it. When you think about people that you know that maybe are like trapped in unhealthy mental cycles, yes. it's usually because of the story they have about yes. themselves, right? Just on repeat. Yeah, and, and that's actually a landmark thing too. And, yeah. and how you frame a story is how you see the trajectory of your life. Mm. I have a lot of friends that are therapists, so we talk a lot about like reframing your story. I'm an avid journaler. And so for me, like sitting and writing for two hours is how I make sense of my life. And and people get stuck in stories and brands get stuck in stories. And I've never thought about that parallel before. So thanks for illuminating that to me because sometimes a brand gets to a point where they can't grow anymore because they're stuck in a story. And often it's a founder story. Yes. So they're too attached to like the figurehead of the story and it's not allowing them to grow anymore. Often that's where we get brought in to reframe their story around a bigger purpose instead of around a person and so yeah there's like a point at which a story can take you only so far mm-hmm. and then you need to rewrite that story yes. it's still a true story yes if it's done well but it it helps you get to another level or change your trajectory yeah, yeah. yes it's the next it's the next book in the series yeah 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 Sorry, back to your original question, though. Can you yes. say it again? <laughs> I went off on a tangent. So, like, for, I, I think brands and individuals, we're just stories. We're the stories that we tell. And that can be good or bad, and it can be stagnant, or it can be, you know, forever flowing like, like a river. So how, how do we build our story? Yeah. With brands, we try to build stories that, are a North Star. So you don't actually want to have a story that is going to change every year. The manifestation of the story might change. The, the colors that express it might change. The name of the company might change. But I think if you're doing it well, the, the purpose is the same. And not to keep harkening back to Kit and Ace, but I remember in those days, um, the family that owned the company was trying to come up with their mission and vision. And 
it was exactly the same as the mission and vision for Lululemon. And at the time I was like, I can't work with that. You know, the, another brand already has that. Yes. But actually it was so true because that was their personal mission and vision right. that they built their whole life around. Right. Interesting. And, and so it's not wrong. You need to give it fresh words if it's a fresh brand, but <laughs> you're not wrong to have that purpose. So, so it has to be like, it has to be bigger than a product and it has to be something that people can rally around. Um, I would say there has to be some sort of inherent human truth in it. And maybe, you know, if we're going to look at a traditional like narrative arc, some sort of conflict that mm -hmm. it helps you overcome. And actually, I think Juice Truck is probably a perfect example. You guys saw a gap. There was a truth. You know, there's something that drives you that's more than just juice. You wouldn't be doing all the things you're doing if yes. it was just juice. But because you have a much bigger purpose than that, your veganism, you know, the way that you try draw community together, it means you've been able to scale way beyond just like a literal juice truck. Yes. And that's what good branding is. It's it's a purpose. Mm -hmm. And it is um, creating that story of, um, of overcoming a conflict that people can can feel a human connection to. So kind of just zooming in on that purpose part, I think sometimes just when I talk to other people, they're like, okay, I've got this product or I've got this idea, but they sometimes get lost on the purpose or the values. And, yeah. you know, I think that that famous Simon Sinek or Sinek, the start with why yeah. video just like summarized so much. We but love him. If someone is having a hard time identifying purpose, like how do you walk them through that? We actually use Simon Sinek. To oh, amazing! Do that. <laughs> so we pull it apart. Yes. We pull apart the what? Yeah. Because usually they get stuck on their what. Yes. But if you build a whole business around a what, then you have a commodity. Yes. Anyone can come in. They can undercut you on price. Yep. Maybe they can make a better product. Yeah. And um, you're like you're not that brand's not going to thrive. Yes. You, you have to be able to, there's other places to get juice. I still will go to the juice truck every time. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> you know? um, so yeah, we, we parse it out yes. and we start with the what. And so we get them to get the what on the page. We literally write it on a page. And so then they're not consumed by it anymore. Yeah. And then we ask them how, how do you do it a little bit differently than your competitors? What is the thing about your process or about the people that you think makes you kind of special? Like, what's your secret sauce? Right. And then once they have that out on the page, then we go to the why. And usually you have to ask the question three or four different ways to really mm -hmm. get to the why. Some people know it right away and those clients are a dream to work with. Mm -hmm. But other times they're like, well, we just really wanted to make the best shoes, you know, but that's not why. Mm -hmm. There's there's something that was a gap that was missing. We just started um, chatting with a new startup that um, every single part of this pair of boots that they're making is vegan and sustainable. And they're like, we love Blundstones. We want to wear them all the time, but we want like, a really actually good vegan option that also has a sustainable sole that also has regenerative textiles in the stitching and um, like finds a replacement for the elastic that is also you know biodegradable Amazing. and and so it's not just a shoe it's a much bigger environmental purpose yeah I love that now you're attaching values to it yeah. you're aligning with a lifestyle that people are opting into it's like there's intention mm -hmm. if i'm buying this shoe there's intention i'm doing it with with purpose because i believe in the same values yeah. as, as that brand and the products may be more expensive 
It doesn't necessarily, um, it's not necessarily going to perform better. It might, but you have an attachment to it because it aligns with your values. Right. Yes. So how much work do you do with, with a company that's looking at, say they're pretty clear on the what and the how, but mm-hmm. they're digging into that why. Is there a lot of work that you do on like, let's mm-hmm. start to pull out and name these values? Like what is yes. it that you want to stand for? Like what are your pillars as a company or as a person or a brand, whatever? That's the core of what we do. Right. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we will turn that into campaigns. We'll turn it into brand identity but the number one reason why people bring us in is to do that and and it's not actually hard to do that there are actually other companies that do that well i if i can brag a little bit i actually think we do it better than almost anyone because we hire really good writers who who are not only good facilitators and can pull that information out of people and um, have the intuition to know which of those things people are saying um the wider public will latch onto, but then they also have a way of putting into words that resonate with people. And that's the hard part sometimes. Yeah. That's, that's (laughs) kind of, I guess the magic isn't it translates from the values that you have as a company to like the potential client customer that says, Hey, those are my values. I'm aligned with you as a business. Plus that shoe is awesome. Exactly. Cool. I'll spend 20, 30, 40 bucks more because I want that Mm -hmm. because I feel that. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It's really fun. Um, yeah, if we can make a founder or, you know, the CEO cry when we read their brand purpose back to them, we know we've succeeded. <laughs> and it happens. That's awesome. Do you ever reverse engineer it where you say, like, let's look at what's the what's the outcome you want? Like what's your target demographic? And then like say, okay, let's peel back and say, how do you align not like align your values in a uh, disingenuous way, but mm-hmm. like, how do you get clear on on how do you, how to reach those people? Is there yeah, that, as well? that that's a big part of it, actually, because you can have a purpose. That's almost how you narrow it down. You can have a purpose, but depending on which audience you're speaking to, how you articulate that purpose is going to sound really different. Right. So we want to know who that target, that muse, or that you know ideal customer is, so that we can capture language that is going to resonate with that audience and it speaks speaks their language you know hopefully we'll also age with them like we don't want something that's really trendy and and going to feel irrelevant in two years when language evolves yeah but um you got to think about that audience Mm -hmm. to make it work for them cool and how do you separate i think it's usually obvious but i there's a lot of marketing that is just whether it's greenwashing or just some sort of washing, you yes. know, like <laughs> there's a lot of washing it, like, <laughs> trying to take advantage of trends yeah. or people's, I, I guess that's marketing in general, trying yeah. to take advantage of people's emotional connection to mm-hmm. idea. Um, how are you able to separate like values from marketing campaigns where, yeah. where people are just like, okay, this will resonate but there's no kind of connection no to that. Behind it. Yeah. We, we say like if someone comes to us and they're like, we already have these values and we look at them and we know they're not true. Yes. It's if they're willing to put money behind it. Okay. So sometimes we'll have brand pillars or values or, or we, we do something called guiding principles, which is sort of the behaviors that right. map the course to living out their values. Um, Sometimes they're a bit aspirational, right. and that's okay. You wouldn't want to have your all of your guiding principles be aspirational, yeah. but you might have one that's aspirational. So for, at Monday, one of our um, brand pillars is the client is our number one. Sorry, the planet is our number one client. Yes. <laughs> client is our number one client. <laughs> the planet is our number one client. That is aspirational for us. We're not 100% there. There are still some clients in our roster that maybe don't 100% align with our values, 
but it's something that we're putting money towards. You know, we are um, we're investing in training on um, like decolonizing our practices. Mm-hmm. We are um, spending money on how we um, you know like deal with waste in our office. There's steps that we're very gradually taking. It's been a slow summer, so they're more gradual right now than they have been, but. We know that we're not there yet, but we're still putting it out into the world. If we weren't putting money and if we weren't putting time behind it, Mm -hmm. that would be greenwashing to me. And so it's pretty easy to point that out to clients. And we are unapologetic in telling it like it is to our clients. We worked with an outdoor brand um, based in Europe, which I love. Like they're um, a really respected, huge outdoor brand that probably are going to be taking over REI and MEC soon. And um, nothing in their practices actually was proactively protecting the environment. They knew it. We knew it. They had a desire to incorporate it into their brand branding because they they wanted to play in that field but they weren't there yet right so we had to kind of help them tone it down and turn it into something that was real and we were unapologetic about saying like well we can't say this because (laughs) it's not true yeah yeah i love that i I mean i think we can all be guilty of it at times because we can fall into that aspirational category but i think I think when we are able to find those values and and connect with them with our, our practices it just makes more sense for for the business and for the customers like you're you're able to do things uh, in a way that um, I think just you can feel that genuine nature and it allows you to to be more yeah um, it opens your window to more possibility when yeah. you're like okay this is aligning um, and it's good for business yes mm-hmm. that's been the really interesting thing we talk about positioning all the time because it's yeah. what we do but for us getting like brutally clear on our positioning has really elevated our exposure and the types of clients that we work with yeah but I feel like people are really looking for like authenticity these days. Like that's a high mark of value as consumers. Yeah. I think more and more like, mm-hmm. is this fast fashion? How can I make my dollar go to the person who is doing their best to mm-hmm. offset environmental issues? And and I think it's like I, I was just doing some work with uh, some of the students I work with and we were talking about val- personal values and, you know, they were listing all of the things and then it said, okay, show me the evidence. Because if it's not a priority, if you're not giving time or money towards it, yeah. then you you can't say it's a value you currently have. No. So we're going to put it in the, this is what I aspire to be. And I think that even for brands to get clear on that is so important. And then it, it translates through marketing, through whatever it is that people know, the experiences that they have with the brand. And they can say, yeah, yeah, I, I feel good about this brand because, yeah. and then people start telling your story for you. Exactly. And and it's okay to show the journey. Like, I think if you're a brand and you know you're not fully living into your values yet, but you want to, there's no harm in being really public. And instead of saying like, this is our value, you can say, this is what we want to be. We're not there yet. Like Mm. the brands we all love the most are the ones that are like, hey, we messed up and we're not fully there yet. Come support us on this journey and keep us accountable. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's true. And even just the language of like, we're doing our best to be, and here's how, like be green or be, you know, Mm -hmm. yeah, support, support indigenous or BIPOC owned Mm -hmm. contributors and say, this is how we're doing it. Then 
that goes a long, long yeah. way. Yeah, we're working on a plan that we're rolling out at our next team offsite, which is um, uh, cultural protocols. We did this workshop with Nahini Creative, um, yeah. Talia Nahini yeah. and, and her daughter Paisley, um, and we we wanted to have this like action plan that came out of it. And so a woman on our team who's um, of indigenous descent is partnering with me on it and doing an amazing job of leading it. And one of the actions that she had that she had identified was like we'll always prioritize working with like indigenous suppliers and and some other element and I was like stuck on this because I was like I want this to be the case but I know that we can't live into this like whenever possible we will choose but there are times when it's like this videographer we need to work with like has this certain portfolio and we need to choose them and they're not indigenous and so I'm really trying to not commit to something that I know we can't live into while still creating an ambitious plan. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Okay. Kind of sticking on the, I've got a few more story questions. Okay. Okay. So we've, we've, um, lined on our purpose and our values and our why, and we've started our story of our brand or Mm -hmm. whether that's ourselves as an individual or a business. And now we've been kind of doing our thing for a few years. Like, how do we know when to, how do we evolve our story? Or how do we know when to kind of continue that story? I think there's two ways that you'll know. Usually you know in your gut. Yes. But if you don't, like if you're too caught up in other things to see it, your community is going to tell you really quickly. And it's time to evolve your story. It's so interesting like social media for better or for worse is such a good temperature gauge for things. I find it fascinating. One of my favorite things to do is when a brand redoes their identity, their visual identity, and they put it out on social, reading the comments is one of my favorite things. Like you instantly know what the community thinks if you've missed it or not. And, and even before that, like you, you start to see the feedback from your community instantly and you know, if you're, there's misalignment Mm -hmm. between what your community thinks you are and what you actually are. Um, you know, in MEC, both of their last two rebrands obviously got a lot of pushback. I actually think the team that did the new Mountain Equipment Company logo did a beautiful job. I love that it kind of went back to the old logo, but I think because the company itself didn't feel like it was living out the old values, the public was kind of enraged (laughs) that they went back to this old logo without embodying the old values they weren't mad about the logo they were mad about the company and so you you can get a pretty fast temperature check um but but usually you know inside first like if you're a intuitive ceo and you're listening to your employees you're getting that feedback Mm -hmm. so i guess that leads to like transparency and honesty i think Mm -hmm. we're talking about this pre-pod i think like millennial marketing when just using the juice truck for an example like when we started when Instagram first came came onto the scene, like the pictures that did well were the ones that were really polished, really yeah. edited, really pretty, like really not connected to reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we've got Gen Z kind of driving um, the car, so per se, right now. And I find their their language and their imagery is just like it's honest, it's real, it's just like as things are, and it's like owning faults and imperfections and celebrating those imperfections and it's like we're having to relearn as a brand now and I'm like aligning more with the Gen Z stuff because I think it's it's more real yeah but um where do we fall on transparency and honesty 
in in the realm of storytelling. Yeah, well, on, on the subject of social, um, you guys used, this is totally unrelated, but when Lauren used to do your fruit art. Yes. <laughs> I loved that. That was so good. Yeah. But that was, that was really polished. But it was also really fun and, yeah. and playful and true to who you are. Yeah, we had a, we had a so wonderful funny. writer working for us up until... Aritzia snatched her up because she was very, very talented. Um, and she is famous for just doing photo dumps on Instagram. Like yeah. she'll just take blurry pictures of her dog sleeping yeah. on the far side of the room and she gets crazy engagement, you know, she'll do the most random photo dumps. And that is, she's a millennial, but that is the most Gen Z thing yes. I've ever seen. Like it's just the raw photo dump. Yeah. I had coffee this morning with a pal who runs a video production company. And he's doing a ton of TikTok content lately. Um, he has some um, just like standing accounts that he's doing TikTok content for. One of his accounts paid him a ridiculous, like multiple thousands of dollars per TikTok to do this really beautiful, polished um, series of TikTok videos. And after the fact, I mean, it was the brief that he got from them, but after the fact, that performed way worse than the super raw stuff. You know, the they'll receive footage from the client, they'll stitch it together, they'll overlay some like a trending song. That is always gonna perform better than yeah. super polished. I credit the pandemic for that. Like I think it's there's there's a lot of horrible things that came out of the pandemic. There's a lot of awesome things that came out of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I discovered that I love puzzling. But, <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, like the rawness of content and our mm -hmm. appreciation for raw content yes. and realness, I think is one of the best things that came out of it. And um, yeah, like polished content just doesn't perform that mm -hmm. well anymore. We see mm -hmm. it across all social channels. Um, so to, to the point of stories, um, we're used to seeing influencers. I hate this trend, but we're used to seeing influencers like crying on their Instagram stories. <laughs> and and that gets us. Like yes. we we stick around to see what's gonna happen. Yeah. This is them being real. Yeah, it's it's yeah. real. You wanna see what's gonna happen. There's yeah. like maybe there's some unpredictability that builds anticipation. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it is. But um, there is an honesty that people are looking for and they'll call you out the minute they sniff something that doesn't yeah. feel like honesty. And so then you have to think about how you're going to tell your story because you want to show yourself in your best light. Like, you know, we all grew up going to church and um, mom would like put our hair in curlers the night before. And it was right. the only time that I wore leotards and a dress. Like this was not a reflection of how I moved through the world as a child. But this one moment we look like that. And that's what Instagram had become, mm. you know, like your, your church curls. And um, it's not... <laughs> It's it's not relatable. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's not a reflection of reality at all. Yeah, it's the one moment that is different from all the others. Yeah, and it's not it's not your story. Like it doesn't yeah. define who you are. If anything, it's a trick. Like it's smoothing over who you actually are. Yeah, we want the Mondays, not the Sundays. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Um, okay, a couple Cut. more uh, brand questions, mm -hmm. and then we can get into some fun stuff. This is fun stuff too, but. Okay, so I'm starting a brand, and there's a million, app, million apps out there. Yeah. 
how do you discern which ones have the most impact? Like, are you putting people on YouTube or TikTok or yeah. like... That is where you start with your audience. Yeah. So that question about audience is um, like our best work happens when we spend time talking to audience members before we ever start doing a marketing right. plan. So, um, you know, we're doing this project with Adidas right now and our team has been in LA, in New York, and Mexico City talking to Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So like the 10 year olds and 12 year olds, like where are you spending your time online? Because Adidas wants to plan for 2025 when these people suddenly have, you know, part-time jobs or allowances that they're spending. They want to know where people are. Is it the YouTube for the Gen Alpha? You know, I actually haven't read the research. (laughs) (laughs) The TikTok is, is big. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube is like, these kids live and breathe YouTube. You you guys know because your children probably are on it. There's so much, I guess, for everything there's so much marketing on on youtube yeah i saw a little girl on the ferry the other day who was like probably four and she was screaming she was like i want youtube and it was such a i was like oh this is a fixture in their lives you know i don't actually spend any time on youtube to be totally honest i have no i'm one of these people that has no need for like a uh tablet i'm just like what are these for these are for old people and young people they're not for my generation because i don't spend any time on youtube unless i'm like trying to figure out how to do something in my garden or like how to change a light fixture that's the only time (laughs) how to videos yeah Uh, on them on youtube how to's are key yeah i've like figured out a lot of garden things like when to prune things and how i know my spaghetti squash is ready to be harvested (laughs) but other than that i'm not spending a lot of time on youtube um but but kids it's it's all they it's us with television it's like our saturday morning cartoon yes yeah. Yeah. They, most kids nowadays, you ask them like what their favorite show is and they couldn't tell you, but they can tell you their favorite YouTube channels yeah. or favorite YouTubers. Wow. And it's wild because it's like people who are just, they're like the celebrity of today is like someone who's just recording themselves on their phone and it is like scrappy and raw and the audio is terrible and it has millions and millions of views and subscribers and they're making money like doing this and yeah. I'm like I can't I don't understand <laughs> like uh, I'm old like, like that <laughs> character on YouTube is just as real and present to them as Punky Brewster was to me yes. which is crazy Punky but network television had such a big reach it, like I don't know what the numbers are compared to like you will ask a kid what YouTube they like they probably all like different ones because yeah. it's just whatever the algorithm serves them right but there are some that seem to like overlap and kind of pop mm. up and I think that's part partly by design like they work together with each other mm. so like this person will appear in this person's video <gasps> and then that way it's like oh yeah hey this is this person and it like shows on the screen their little handle and follow them here and then it's cross promoting so, totally just like we all do on Instagram of course <laughs> yeah but that's the thing I'm like oh my gosh this is literally like this is their Instagram it's YouTube yeah this is how they do it Whew. come and be on my channel we'll, we'll do a collaboration video together Oh, it's crazy, but that's like my kid. My kids, uh, eight and six. Yeah, that's all they know. Yeah, YouTube. Yeah, same. My kids love the YouTube. Yeah. Okay, I'm projecting one of my my own personal dilemmas mm. onto you. You can invoice me later. Let if me you solve want. your problems. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay, we we touched on this briefly before we started recording, but personal dilemma. Mm-hmm. I want to spend less time on social media. Oh yeah. Okay. Uh, but I've got a brand. So how do I tell the story? We've got this podcast. We've got the juice truck. Like, how do we reach people? How do we connect with people? How do we tell a story? How do we create community? How do we 
foster togetherness without I'm gonna tell you my secret without social media this is I, I went off social media for two whole weeks when I went on a vacation yes and you know how I did it how I hired someone to do our social media hired, <laughs> I mean okay we've we've done okay. that we've done that as well but just kind of thinking of like the bigger and I don't know if right. you have an answer I'm just kind of looking more for like an open-ended conversation here yeah. like if we want to tell a story and I think like so Dean and I have jammed on this when we go off for runs like not to circle back to the church throughout the whole podcast, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, churches and religious groups yeah. do this. Yeah. You know, um, they've created community. They've created storytelling mm-hmm. and, and messaging without, you know, TikTok and, and whatnot. So it is possible. It is. So if you want to rebel against the system. So here's something that we've been doing for the last two years, and I actually stole it from Kit and Ace their approach to community building and i was i was trying to get a new client to think about doing this as well um in the early days of kitten a so we had this brand it was very well funded so we were going to scale really really fast well how do you scale a brand really really fast you buy a lot of ads (laughs) you know that's one way you invest a lot of money in social content but you build a community and we all know community is key to brand building The way that we did it is for maybe like two to three months leading up to the launch of a new store, we would have events. And the kind of cornerstone event were these supper clubs where we would get um, 12 really influential people in that community around a table. You might have been to one or two of them back in the day, probably the earlier ones. With Lacey. Yes, good times. (laughs) Um, And and there would be alcohol and there would be good food and everyone would have a real talk question, like a real intimate question. And by the end of that meal, they had met kind of all of these really core human needs. They, They fed you, they gave you great wine and they built a community for you. You felt deeply connected to these 11 other people you were sitting with yes. and you posted about it on social media because it was also very beautiful yeah. but then you go out into the world and you're an advocate yes. for this so we started to do this a lot more events i did a dinner in austin back in november that followed this exact same model i creeped a bunch of people on linkedin who were doing interesting things at brands we knew we wanted to work with in austin we're specifically trying to build our markets in in portland and austin beyond vancouver and um and i invited them to this dinner and i booked a room at a really cool restaurant we had kind of a square table there was 12 of us i did a question for everybody we followed that exact same model and we now have like 11 passionate advocates for monday in austin it sounds small but those people are influential and Mm -hmm. they talk to people um we're doing a similar event but way more vancouver next monday where we've invited a bunch of cmos brand directors, marketing directors, to something that we're calling tailgate talks. We're doing a hike at at Seymour, and then we've got a bunch of camp chairs, dinner and drinks, and we're just going to sit around in the parking lot in our camp chair with blankets and talk about what marketing through the last nine months has been like. And the idea is to build um, like real human connections and to foster a community out of it. So it's it's slow, but for a B2B company mm-hmm. like ours, it's effective. But I think it can work. So human connection is what I'm hearing. Yes. Yes. Connect <laughs> yes. connect with humans. Yeah. So this so we we just signed on this new client and they got a grant to go to a trade show. 
and they wanted to promote themselves leading up to the trade show. And, and they wrote this grant um, with kind of a list of things that they were going to do, which included a bunch of social and a bunch of advertising. And once we got into it, I was like, I don't actually think that's where you want to spend your money. Like you probably be have more luck just hiring someone who's going to do a bunch of like one-to-one outreach to the people you want to mm-hmm. connect with. Like maybe use reallocate those funds to actually clarify what your story is, mm-hmm. like why you exist and get your brand dialed. And that's going to extend your reach a lot further than like promoting on your social channels that you're going to be at this right. event. Yeah, because it feels like the easy thing is like just create a beautiful social channel and have some nice images, which like are accessible to anyone through stock photos like that are really good. Now you don't need like a professional photographer. Like you can make a pretty cool campaign. And I think people know like, it's kind of easy. Yeah, there's a lot of Instagram pages that have had 300 followers for the last 10 years because people took that exact approach. Yeah. If you don't have advocates who are passionate about you. And and on the flip side, so um, I had, a, had a, a, a man that I dated all through the pandemic who had a really wonderful business called Grow Oya. They're um, these like clay pots that you plant in your garden and it, it's like this ancient technology that waters your garden at the roots and so you use less water. And their branding was very mediocre and they used a lot of just like not that good UGC and they didn't know any like, he'd be the first to say, like, they didn't know anything about email marketing but they had a like real core belief around saving water and around like promoting permaculture that people really latched onto and they have like 40,000 followers even though like they they put very little like polished effort into it in the early yeah. days it was just very earnest and spoke to um, a cause that a community really believed in mm. and the business is thriving because of it right without any fancy social media strategy yeah that's cool so i think like if i'm to summarize some things like social media and human connection like having a little bit of both is is a nice recipe for yeah. for building a brand and i love what you were saying earlier um we were chatting about posters like yes. what does the irl <laughs> yeah. application look like yes i i pay attention to posters i was running with the East Van Run crew last night and um, there's a guy that regularly comes running with our like Monday run club and he was saying that some beer company had done some kind of a night run recently and I was like oh yeah I remember seeing posters for that it felt very weird to have like a beer company promoting a run so I didn't take it that seriously but also it was in my psyche because I'd walk by that poster probably four or five times throughout the city yeah Yeah, that's what we did we were talking about this before the pod when we launched the juice truck there wasn't there was facebook and twitter but we weren't that savvy on those things yet (laughs) hadn't met you yet um so we just thought about um you know we're both into music and into movies and how those things were advertised were posters so we wanted to put posters everywhere and we didn't actually know that there was like an etiquette to it like there was like (laughs) poster guys or poster gals and like you know maybe you're supposed to hire someone or it's maybe a little bit like graffiti in that way like you don't tag over other people's graffiti so we just put these posters everywhere we blasted them everywhere and upset a few people on the way but, but the messaging was really successful like we mm-hmm. launched this food truck without any social media presence and amazing somehow on day one we had like a huge lineup of people and it was all from our posters and yeah. they're like oh yeah i saw your poster i saw your poster and 
we were putting them everywhere, like wherever it was okay to put a poster or we thought it was okay. And it was kind of fun and it felt like grassroots and kind of like guerrilla marketing in a way. So maybe there's some ways to... Yeah. And as you grew, I mean, some of the first times I ever went to the juice truck would be when Katie Gallagher would do a workout there. I think, was it Rachel Ricketts that used to lead the co-working? Like yes. I did a talk there yes. once. You were bringing community in. Yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting, like, just being transparent with, with COVID, like, we kind of lost, people weren't interested for a, a blip of time of in-person community, so that kind of led to us launching the podcast, but now we're trying to, like, we've changed our spaces to, mm-hmm. like, all of this retail, and we're like, okay, now we have to recreate community, but we've gotten rid of all of the, kind of, the the systems that we, we use to to bring people together in the past. And so, the retail probably fills the gap in income that yes, you experienced. Yes, because yeah. nobody wanted to sit in stores. So yeah. we're like, we got to make use of all of this this square footage. And we love retail products. It's mm-hmm. it's fun. I love like the storytelling behind retail products um, and brands and all of that. But now we're like, okay, now we need to recreate how we engage with community and how we like host community events because that has been one of our pillars, one of our, our whys, and we're like, okay, well, we can't do it how we used to do it, but we still want to do it, and we still should be doing it. So what does that look like? Yeah. So Good it's, luck. It's fine. We're figuring it out. <laughs> Loop me in if you need it, you know, yeah. someone to show up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like showing up for things. Absolutely. Maybe there'll be some run clubs or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay, we've talk. got ideas. We've got ideas. I don't yeah. know if they're good, but we've always got <laughs> ideas. But I think that's like, speaking of juice truck, like that's the thing, you know, my experience with it, I worked for a while, like here in Steveson at the juice truck. And the thing about it is it's like, for some people it was like their cheers, which is like a dated reference, I understand. <laughs> but like people came in there and it was like their place, yeah. right? And even during the pandemic, like people weren't sitting in there the same way, but they still like wanted to come. And as a customer first, like that was the same thing. It was like, oh, like, you know, as soon as I thought, oh, I'm like hungry or need a snack, I was like, oh, it was juice truck. Yeah. Because it just was like the place. And it was because your guys' really business for me was like the community that you created. Mm-hmm. And then you also just so happened to sell like incredible juices and smoothies and snacks and all of that stuff. And that's where I think like when we're talking about what are you, how do you find that that niche and, and do the real life storytelling or real life, you know, marketing, it's like having people who are so loyal not just to your brand, but to like the experience that they get mm-hmm. with it, right? Like I wanted to be there, not because, not just because the products were great, but because I felt like I was like part of a community. And and I think that that's huge for all of us now, especially moving out of like pandemic life where it feels like we're more normal than we have been for a while here. Okay. And it is like, how do we recreate and reconnect in spaces where it's genuine community first? that the brand can like create or hold space for and then people associate that good feeling mm-hmm. and that connection with whatever it is whoever's hosting it yeah even on a self-serving front you know as a business owner we built monday all on referrals mm-hmm. and through my network and my business partner Lindsay's network and so when i go out into the world like selfishly i want to go to places where i'm going to bump into people mm-hmm. the juice truck is kind of always on my list of places where like i know i'm going to see someone i know that probably is industry you know related and it's always going to be beneficial yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the ecosystems yeah totally <laughs> yeah yeah yes. Okay. This has been a great juice truck commercial. Yes, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you both. (laughs) Lots of plugs today. today. (laughs) 
<laughs> this this episode will definitely be brought to you by the juice truck. <laughs> come, come for your smoothie and stay for community. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll have to hire you eventually now. <laughs> so, okay, so just staying on that brand brand line for a way, because I, I love brands as well. And I can throw out a few that I'm really think have done an amazing job during COVID and, and beyond. What are some brands that um, you're that are inspiring you and what kind of draws you in? Yeah. Okay. The first one that comes to mind is actually one. So my business partner and I, a couple of years ago, we created a, a very modest arm of our business that's for angel investing Yes. to be able to support women owned businesses yeah. that yes. have similar values. And I'm absolutely obsessed with one of the businesses we invested in. It's called Belly Welly. It is like a snack bar for people that have IBS, yes. like a very specific community and a community that rallies together. Um, Katie, the founder, is just relent. Like she launched her business the same day that she gave birth to her premature baby. And wow. she has this amazing billboard campaign that's running in kind of key cities around the U.S. It's just this huge pink billboard that says hot girls have IBS. <laughs> that's awesome. And it's become this whole movement, yeah. you know, like she knew her audience. She had a message. It was all around like caring for your guts, but also like finally having something that's not going to destroy your day as someone yes. that has irritable bowels. I don't, but and so grateful. many people do yeah a lot of people do yeah um so i'm crushing hard on on what she's doing i think she really has built a passionate community around a purpose yes um and you've invested in another brand that i totally crush on sunscoop yeah oh you know sunscoop. oh my gosh is I've, that not the best ice cream i mean i know you're I vegan so I, probably, I haven't tried it oh it i've is been like so desperate good. to find it somewhere in Canada or Vancouver. Hmm. Maybe I can talk to someone at the stable. Yeah, <laughs> we we had a shipment come up. They like packed it on dry ice. Yeah. By the time it got here, like it got held up in customs, the dry ice was evaporated. Yeah. <laughs> and it was, but you know what? It reconstituted pretty well. Yeah. We like stuck it right back in the freezer and it was still super delicious. But next time you're in LA, like pop yes. into Erewhon or Whole Foods yeah. and it's also in the East Coast. So, um, so Sunscoop is like this ice cream that uses like adaptogens and yeah, superfoods. So exactly. you're like, and it's got a coconut cream base, so yeah. it's less icy than most yeah. um, vegan ice creams. But it's the adaptogens that's really special. So yes. they have like reishi or maca, and they've they've like put these superfoods. Yeah. Like at least one in every single ice cream. Amazing. It's such a it's such a good concept. They have there's a, actually a yeah they've just nailed. They've nailed the branding. Yes, it's so cool. Yeah, and they've done a really fun partnership with uh, Super Goop, the sunscreen line, and they did a little tour this summer where they're going to like festivals. They were at Coachella, and it was like ice cream and sunscreen together, Amazing. which is a magical combination. Yes, I feel like there's this like surgence of CPG products with like incredible storytelling. Yeah, uh, I one of the favorite accounts that I follow is um, um, uh, God. Uh, the snacks, uh, snacks boys or snacks, snack shots. Have I you don't know them? it. Oh my god, it's this we woman. I think her name's Alexandra Hernandez, uh, and she just like tells incredible stories about snacks, mm -hmm. and it's it's a journey. And I wait for her newsletter every <laughs> single week, and I like read it like I would read a newspaper. I'm like so excited when it comes. <laughs> And like she's like the oracle of snacks. You need to. I'm gonna get in on that. You need to follow her. 
Yeah. Uh, one that Dean just will we'll throw some brands at you and okay. see what you think. Oh, okay. One that has been like really transformative for both of us. Like we we both became obsessed with the community, the culture, like just addicted to everything they were sharing. Basically, is uh, satisfied running. Yeah. They. I feel like they've. Yeah, I listened to your interview with Adam. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because especially when they were doing that race, what is it, the one where they run to Vegas? Oh, the Speed speed Project. The Speed Project, which I think he talked about. I was following that. Yes. minute by minute on Instagram. It was such a like heart-wrenching journey. Yeah. And when you see like the runner switching out and you become really invested in each of yes. the runners, I thought that was epic as far as storytelling goes. Yes. It deep like like satisfy is a little too cool. And sometimes we um like at Monday we're sort of anti the too cool. Like we've always um made a deliberate choice not to work with luxury brands yeah. because we want the human accessible experience yes. but but like there's no arguing that satisfies products are beautiful i i would love to have the women's version of i would probably spend way too much money <laughs> yeah. on them yeah and and they do such a good job of storytelling yes. even in like i sort of like would love hate read some of their q a's that they would do yes. i was just like these guys are just too effing cool come on yeah but yeah. then i also was like but what did they say yeah. you know <laughs> yeah. i would eat it up yeah like, what are the kids into yeah totally <laughs> I just love how they do like uh, they'll create content yeah. that is it's just incredible narrative storytelling and mm-hmm. it doesn't even feel like like you could show that to someone and be like so what what was that about and they'd be like well like running but like I think but they wouldn't be like oh it's like a running ad no or it's for a running company they'd be like is that it's about that guy or mm-hmm. that person that they were following it's, it's a very human yes. story yeah yeah I'd yeah. say like I only ever want their product because their storytelling is so good yeah. I'll see the launch and I'll be like. I don't even know if I want this, yes. but the storytelling I'm so connected yeah. to. Mm-hmm. Some of the women that were in that race, I was yeah. just like, man, like if she can do this, I can do this. Yes. Yeah. I was like, I like that woman makes me want to get running every day. Like I need to get from my half marathon status to my marathon yes. status. Yeah, yeah, get Dad. it, get it. Do it. Yeah, yeah. No, I was it's like, so can cool. I have abs like hers? Yes. <laughs> Lucy, Lucy Beatrix. Yeah. There we go. She's something else. <laughs> so amazing. <laughs> I was like, who is this woman? I know, right? <laughs> I was yeah. obsessed. Yeah, incredible. Obsessed, see? That's, that's the word go. that they use, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Any other brands that are kind of, you see them, their stories come up and you're like, yes, yes. Yeah, um... I mean, there's brands that I think are doing really interesting things in inclusivity. A Canadian brand that we really have been following is Alder Apparel. They do inclusive hiking clothes for women. Cool. Really fun, playful, teeny tiny team out of Toronto, but have managed to scale the brand like on their own. Um, I also love, love, love this brand. Um, One of the founders is Canadian um it's called Half Days it's a ski brand for women um they're like these matched set top and bottom ski brands and they also have just been like really scrappy and creative and playful though the line is really playful I'm hoping we're going to do an event with them at Outdoor Retailer in January we've gotten to know one of the founders really well and and their mission really aligns with ours so love love them um there's brands that I just think like have flipped categories on their head I don't know necessarily how I feel about them in my soul but but um, Bala, are you guys familiar with Bala? It's like they do those wrist weights that you started to see oh, everywhere yes, yes. in California. So um, 
and they're they're backed by some like big venture capital but they took this sort of 80s idea mm-hmm. of like ankle and wrist weights yes. wrist weights and made it very sexy and then you think like where can they take it from there but they've ta- they've taken it to yeah. beautiful places i was talking to katie gallagher about it a couple months ago and katie was like you know, Katie gets a lot of things for free because she is like everyone wants her to have their stuff. But she went out and she bought a Bala mat because it was the most beautiful yoga mat she could find. She Amazing. was like, nobody else is making it this beautiful. And now they have all of these different kinds of soft weights that, you know, like it might be a fad and it might go away, yeah. but nobody has managed to make fitness equipment look quite so beautiful. as beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. Another one I like a lot is uh, Rainbow, the mushroom company oh, out yeah. of Toronto. Started by a Kitnase alumna. Yes. Yeah, Tanya was, yes. used to work in one of our Toronto stores. Yeah, I was listening to some of her like old podcasts, mm-hmm. um, and I didn't realize that actually she had recorded one on, I think it was like Lemon Water or something, where she was still at Kitnase, mm-hmm. and she was talking about like what she was going to do with Well Woman. So all these She's all, done a great job. Oh my goodness, yeah. We we really want a mushroom brand. Like that is the thing that I have been I'm manifesting it right now. There we we go. want to do a mushroom okay. brand. It that would be the thing that would make me whether it's like um, a mushroom textile brand yes. because that's something that I'm obsessed with is yeah. seeing how mushrooms have been converted into actual functioning like leather replacements yes. um, or some sort of performance mushroom you know or even a psychedelic mushroom I'm open yeah you know? okay okay I like it yeah I got my wheels turning already we've had a few <laughs> mushroom people on we this have. podcast oh, in the past. send them my way yeah, yeah yeah mushrooms mushrooms are so fascinating yeah yeah that was actually another great thing that came out of the pandemic i got into some really geeky things during the pandemic as a result of uh, the person that i was dating and yes. he was a big forager and so now that i live on the sunshine coast where it's some of the best chanterelle foraging like i'm just counting down the it's days to chanterelle close. season i will like go for epic runs in the forest in half moon bay and i'll be like look at all those oyster mushrooms on the <laughs> Tree, and I'll like drop a pin so that I can come yeah. back and get them oh, later. Smart, that's yeah. a savvy play. I found yeah. some turkey tail on one of my very first runs, and I was like, I gotta remember where this is. But it's such a maze. The forest in Half Moon Bay is massive, and yeah. so um, I never managed to find it again. Or someone harvested it before yeah, I got yeah. to. They'll come back. They'll mm-hmm. grow again. Yeah. So what about uh, worms? Worms Whoa. in the soil. Yeah. Well, worms is another thing that I really got into. Was <laughs> that, that a pandemic uh, oh, interest? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. so gardening as a whole came into my life um, through the pandemic and through this relationship. And and I always had this vision, not always, I mean, for the last probably seven or eight years, I had this vision of this house with a huge garden where I could entertain people. I, I now have that. And um, I happened to learn how to garden just last summer, I had my first kind of community garden plot in East Van. It went really, really well. Last summer was a great summer for growing because it was so freaking hot. Yeah. This was a bad summer for growing, but all of a sudden I had this like more than half an acre garden and orchard that I was tending. Amazing. And it, it consumes way more of my thought time than I care to admit. Like I get really, really excited every kind of two days or so. My pole beans will just have like a whole new crop of beans and I get really excited about it. But on the topic of worms, so um, I'm sure you guys know this, but maybe not. So worm castings, which is like essentially worm poop. Yes. Probably one of the best fertilizers 
there is out there and like it's so easy to do worms don't need a lot they just need like some coffee grounds yeah. and some eggshells and like Pretty some carbon yeah so so we built um you know my first little worm bin and um i had some girlfriends staying with me for a week we had a week-long vacation and whenever we'd prepare a meal i'd be like don't don't throw that away like that's for the worms and i'd have this special <laughs> pile of food that i would take out to the garage to feed to the worms afterwards and by the end of the summer I had this like blue tote that was just full of these gorgeous castings and I had the happiest worms ever. And that's all going back into the garden and it's going to feed us again next summer, amazing. which I just think is amazing. Like the food that I eat is going to feed me like in perpetuity. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's such a simple concept and I probably came to it way too late, but I get absolutely giddy every time I open up my bin and I see like these baby worms and these big fat worms yeah. that are just thriving so you're growing like essentially you're like cultivating worms yeah. like in like in a separate space yeah and then putting them into the garden so you don't put the worms in the garden oh. just there's there's just different kinds of worms so this particular t type of worm is basically designed to devour your compost okay and turn it into this like really rich fertilizer yeah. worm castings there's a different kind of worm that is in your garden okay um so you keep them kind of separate so you're just taking their poop and essentially putting it back in Crazy. so where do you get the worms like these special compost worms yeah, i mean you can order them a friend gave them to yep. me um because they 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 grow so like yep. if anyone wants to start a, their own worm farm like i have some worms to spare you know and i'll probably split mine soon into two yeah. so i can start sharing it's like a sourdough compost. starter it's it is oh my gosh <laughs> that's exactly what it is it's amazing right and it is this like living breathing thing as well like you need it is, I'm probably, this is probably the wrong word for it, but it's this biome. Like yeah. it has all this good bacteria in it, just like a sourdough starter. You need to keep it alive. It can't get too damp. It can't yeah. get too dry. Gotta feed it. To keep that like healthy stuff in it. There's actually, so I have a house now that has a septic tank. And that's the other thing that I've been really geeking out over lately is just trying to know how septic tanks work. And it's like a gut. Like yes. you need to feed it bacteria on a regular basis to keep it healthy. And um, I like, I don't want to ever have my septic tank have any issues. So I no. work really, really hard to keep it healthy. So once a month, I'm like flushing this bacteria down the toilet. And, and like the idea in my head that I'm feeding my septic tank just makes me feel really good yeah <laughs> i love it That's i love so it wild. i mean to put my hippie hat on here for a second like with the worms yeah if you zoom in to mm. any aspect of nature you just realize how perfect nature is yeah you know isn't it amazing like their nature has a system for everything and we just kind of get in the way but if we just let nature be nature it's perfect yeah oh my gosh and how easy it really is to like be part and participate of the, the cycle. Yeah. Like we can just jump into it. We try to like get around it and avoid it. And it's just, it's easy really yeah. to just like see it and then jump into it and support it. So, you know, you guys had, had mentioned uh, regenerative capitalism as yes. something that we might explore Yeah, let's today. talk about it. And, and for me, like, that's exactly what it is. It's like, how can we mirror the systems of nature and, like, look to nature for inspiration? Like, yes. when you put stuff into nature, you get out of it. Yes. And that is, like, like, the perfect illustration of regenerative capitalism to me. Can yeah, That is perfect. Can you... I'm, I'm so interested in this because I think... I mean, obviously, I'm a capitalist. I have a business, yeah. so I need to play within the system. Yeah. But I'm also like an environmentalist that loves nature and, um, you know, have other tendencies to just 
you know, take nature side and capitalism and environment can clash, but they don't yeah. have to. I think there's like, they don't have to, there's beautiful things where they can support each other and yeah. make each other better. So can you define regenerative capitalism and kind of explain what it is? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, I'm not going to do the best job, but it's, it's any sort of capitalism that has like a, a net positive impact. So your focus is always on restoring and building instead of like extracting yes. and, and pillaging. Yes. Um, I think about this a lot because yeah. I, for years, you know, I have a lot of American friends and I always joke that I'm a socialist because I'm a Canadian and I, I, it's not true. I'm not 100% a socialist because like you, I'm a business owner. Yes. I've benefited from it. And the thing is that like like capitalism works yes. if your goal is to generate wealth. Yes. Like capitalism really works. When yep. you put all these practices into place, you're going to make a lot of money. Yep. And I think with regenerative capitalism, we're redefining what wealth is. So economic wealth is one part of it, but what about ecological wealth or social wealth or cult mm. cultural wealth? Like it's looking at it holistically mm-hmm. and um, not taking like a top-down approach, like traditional capitalism where you've got this like gray-haired white man at the top of this business, that's serving one person. You yes. know, you're exploiting all all the people below and we're we're trying to do this we're trying to set up a business where we're benefiting everyone we um you know i was i'm on this thread of agency owners um it's a really wonderful tool but i don't dip into it that often and just today i was poking around to look for some information and i found a thread from july about maternity leave and it's all of these male business owners who are like my peers and I love them talking about their maternity leave policies. And there's this one guy that's like, I surveyed 12 women and we came out with the policy that we don't have any maternity leave top up. And I was like, oh yeah, you surveyed 12 women and they said that they don't require any top up for maternity leave. So we've, we've done a top up throughout the duration. It's not a full top up. We like everyone who does parental leave of any sort gets a thousand dollars a month throughout their maternity leave um like regard you know regardless of how long they've been with the company and that was from day one and that is part of our approach to regenerative capitalism Mm -hmm. like we are putting that you know worm castings back (laughs) into the soil to to get that like you have better employees you have more loyal employees you like there's reputational benefits but also just everyone feels better in their soul Mm -hmm. about working in this place yeah you know i know not everyone can do that as small businesses we've been lucky but Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's really broad how we define wealth well I I think it's like going back to the idea of community and ecosystem like I I think sometimes when I think of capitalism I think of like the big oil companies and the big logging companies that are like these pillagers you know but it doesn't have to be that way I think it can be regenerative it can be building it can be putting back into it can be supporting the people that support you can be Mm -hmm. supporting the team like yeah. as as business owners and as people participating in capitalism, I think we can choose what that looks like yeah. and it can be regenerating. And I think that's inspiring mm-hmm. and I think that's leading with possibility. And, mm-hmm. and I think when we think about, okay, we need to make changes because the world can be going in the wrong direction. I mean, not the world, but as humans that are living, occupying this, this world, um, but we can change that story. And it can be a regenerative story where we're supporting each other and supporting the earth and supporting the communities that we coexist with. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting. Yeah. 
like what the thing that we always come back to we we have at monday um like open book accounting so every single quarter in our off sites we sit down we show the team like here's how much we spent here's how much we made this is the profit that we made here's what we're doing with the profit so they they know and it keeps you really accountable to where that money is going mm-hmm. like Lindsay and i can't pocket yes. all of that profit because the team's going to see and they know. And and it has helped us really think like, I mean, I think I've always believed this, but there's there's only so much wealth that you need. Mm-hmm. You don't need that much wealth. You really don't. Like, I have enough. I have enough. Any more than that is going to be excess. Yeah. And there's like a really, there's a, there's that perfect zone that you find when you're like, no, I don't, I don't need more than this. Um, I would rather redistribute it like I, I try not to get resentful about taxes you know right so want my accountant to try to help me <laughs> ways to pay less yeah 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 <laughs> well, I remember reading about capitalism at some point or another and when it was like you know there's all these different isms and we've villainized some but there's like communism and marxism and capitalism and capitalism kind of won the global the global battle but in its like truest form when when these were kind of hypotheticals and theories like the idea of capitalism wasn't to hoard anything. It was to make money and then regenerate, mm-hmm. put it back into the system mm-hmm. and, and support the whole system. The idea of, of hoarding and like what is now like the modern day billionaire, yeah. like that was like a- against this original idea of capitalism. It was like wow. make it, put it back in, make it, put it back in so that everybody is always supported. And in theory, that would work. We just yeah. have all started to hoard That's money. How our and, gardens work. Yes. If you keep yeah. extracting everything out of your garden, it's, it's not going to produce for you next season. Yes. Yeah. It'll be good, It'll be good for a while, but, mm-hmm. but not long term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the term like sustainability, I think for the last decade or so, and even before, was really popular. And, and it was this big move to being like sustainable business and sustainable practices. And then you look at the state of the world, you're like, well, if we're it's sustaining what we're doing, this is like a band-aid. Yeah. <laughs> like... And we don't, we can't sustain what's happening because what's happening is not okay. Yeah. And that's where that turn towards that regenerative piece is, I think, so important. Mm-hmm. And starting to raise that, and yeah, I, it's, I think it's so important. It's a hard buy-in to have people who are used to making profit on profit and then saying, no, there's a point where like enough is enough, mm-hmm. and I can like redistribute and help others and do good with that yeah rather than just like amassing wealth yeah it's that community mindset yeah that individual mindset i mean that's where i'm really excited about taking the next step of our decolonization journey is like okay how do we stop thinking about running business running a business as like me the individual and start thinking about it as a collective like how are we bettering our community in east fan how are we like extending it beyond just the clients that we're serving right yeah. Does that tip into that? Like you talked about it before, the, the idea of angel investing too. Yeah. Like you can use some of that profit mm-hmm. to invest in other people that you see have potential but might need a little help as yeah. a startup or whatever. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And, That's and awesome. being able to advise them. Um, we are making like a super teeny investment into this shoe company that's this fully sustainable clog. It's like a it's like an elevated croc. Um, like, it's a brand called Aless Gray. It's actually really What's cool. What's it called? I'm going to write Aless Gray. So it... it a-L-E-S-G-R-E-Y. They are in Nordstrom across the States, cool. um, hopefully soon in REI. But um, 
yeah, like really looking for, we're, we're making an exception to our female founder. This is a male founded, but we, we just adore this founder. Yeah. Just like cool. you, when you were, the lesson that I've learned about angel investing is you're investing in founders. And so you want to look for people that know how to like just hustle and are so committed to their cause. And this founder is very committed to this cause, like yes. passionately so, um, and has the network to bring it to life. So yeah, this, this is such a, a fun product and like more and more we want to be putting our money into those sustainable solutions. I love that. Okay. On the sustainability, mm. let's kind of chat about that and then we can maybe round things out eventually. <laughs> but Okay, to start off, what what does sustainability mean to you? Like, what does that word, because we do hear it a lot, like Dean was saying, oh, this is sustainable fashion, yeah. or this is circular fashion, yeah. or this is this this packaging is sustainable. Yeah. Uh, can we, you kind of break that down a little bit? I might actually jump and just talk about circularity, because Perfect. we're less into, interested in sustainable for the exact reason that yes. Dean just described. Like, yeah. sustainable is maintaining the status quo. Yes. We're not interested in it. Yes, circularity you. is a lot more interesting to us. And in the apparel space, you know, we're so complicit in <laughs> water usage. Yeah. and um, just like the piles and piles of waste. Um, so one of the one of the companies we're working with right now, we've just kicked off um, today with the team, is a local company called Dbrand. They have, I think, six different pillars for helping brands with end of life for their product, whether it's um, at the very beginning, helping them construct garments that can be deconstructed with all elements that can be reused and recycled. So like a garment breaks down, this zipper is sewed in or is constructed in a way that it has a whole other life. They also will like deconstruct garments um, for repurposing. Um, I can't remember what the other ones are, but that is the, the part that I'm really interested in. So um, having that, that net positive <laughs> effect mm-hmm. and designing designing products that are ultimately not going to go into a landfill. Yeah. So giving it a second life, resale, like re-commerce is a huge part of what we're exploring right now and mm-hmm. helping brands tell their re-commerce stories so that they can get those initiatives launched and help um consumers understand why they should be purchasing differently um it's this is the like the real paradox is these brands are all selling products and they kind of need to have new products to sustain the business but also they need to educate consumers on the fact that like we don't need to have entirely new wardrobes every season you can buy patagonia does this the best Mm -hmm. you can buy one product it can last for years when you're done with that product you can give it back and they'll find a new life for it and then you can buy another product that was made up of other products that have reached their end of life yeah um that to me is like the future of what retail is going to be like. We want to be the people that are driving that forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I love that. I, I'm just thinking of some brands as you're, as you're mm. saying that, that have done it well. And, and going back to the storytelling, they're able to tell that story. And I think it, it works. And, and myself being the consumer, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Now I want this. Like, yeah. District Vision did a line where it was all their offcuts for the end of the season. Yeah. So it was like different color sleeves totally. or like half shorts. The Cotopaxi different... model. Do you yeah. know Cotopaxi? Yeah, like like yeah. they do it all out of yes. um, Camelback's offcuts. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. Or like um, I know you've worked with uh, work with Arteryx, like mm-hmm. their Rebird, mm-hmm. um, Satisfies, Repossessed. Mm-hmm. Like I, I think there's, if we can be creative, there's so many circular ways, whether it's in fashion or in food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
like Loop Juice to give another juice brand a shout out. Like they mm-hmm. do such a good job of like getting all of the C and D grade produce that's otherwise in landfills and turning it into, you know, all of their juice. Or, yeah. Um, Sunrise Market, have you ever shopped there? I love Sunrise. So they get, yeah. I don't know if you know how their model works, but they get all of the rejects from Whole Foods and Safeway and all those other places. No, I didn't know that. And that's why, and same with the, um, the produce uh, wholesalers and distributors, like the produce that they have left over, it all ends up at Sunrise. Cool. So they get all these like, rejects from everybody and they're yeah. able to sell it at a lower price and you've got this great little I love that. business mm-hmm. so um I was one of the conversations I had earlier today is with a woman named Lindsay Boyle who has a consultancy called Circular Citizen and she was telling me this story about this vegan mayo company can't remember which company it was um and they were having a hard time getting like it to constitute well and to have the the kind of mouthfeel or hand feel that eggs would have so they reached out to whole foods to see if any of their suppliers had um, any like waste product that could help they ended up pairing them with a hummus company that had all this excess aquafava and that ended up being the thing that made this mayo product have the constitution of mayo even though it was vegan and so there's like a lot of partnership and overlap that needs to happen something we're trying to put together for next year which came out of conversations with dominique showers who leads rebird at arcteryx is a circularity summit where we bring together people at that senior level of circularity at all the different brands that that are um, driving this home and and get them together to have like real conversation and to do active problem solving together so like the only way to do this is with an overlap of ideas. Like you cannot do it individually. Mm-hmm. We're going to be outpaced by the destruction of the environment. And so I love that the people that are behind these initiatives are so keen to collaborate, to bring them to life. Yeah. That's so cool. Collaboration. Mm. It's the way forward, <laughs> right? You can't, you can't sell products on a planet that like is not functioning because no. all of a sudden people will, don't care about what's late. like that's the part of capitalism that doesn't work yes. there are limits to what you can extract <laughs> that's the breakdown yeah. yes yes oh it's so good the, the lessons that we can find right in front of us in the in the dirt in the garden yeah from the worms and then apply it to these big things right these big quote-unquote problems or solutions that we need to tackle with simplicity but it's going to require the hard work of like collaboration and recognizing you know where maybe yeah we could we might not be able to make the same amount of pro- uh, profit, but we could, in the long run, probably our businesses will benefit far greater yeah. by collaborating and creating something new from yeah offcuts or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's brilliant. Okay, I got one last question here, and then maybe we can do a little rapid fire. Okay. Okay, as a storyteller, yeah. are there any books? I guess this is kind of one of our random fire rapid fire mm-hmm. questions, Sorry, but we can counts. jam on it a little longer. Are there any books that have really lit up your path or anything that's really inspired you in the last, I don't know, however long? Yes. I mean, there's a lot. Um, I The book I recommend to everyone is Jonathan Safran Foer's Extremely Loud and Incredibly oh, yeah. Close. I love that book. 
Did you read his eating animal books? Too? I did. Yeah, yeah. Whew, it brought me to a dark place. I was <laughs> like, I have to give up meat. Good, good, I good. gave up factory farm meat. Good. You know, much to my parents' annoyance, especially <laughs> at Thanksgiving when they're like, "We spent a hundred dollars on this sustainably raised turkey for you," and I'm yeah. like, "Well, mom, you used to buy like the broken down turkeys that were on sale, so I'm glad that I made that there we change go. for you." There we go. Progress. Yes. Yeah. Um, I love Barbara Kingsolver. Yep. She wrote a book called The Poisonwood Bible, which, yep. um, Dean, if you haven't read it, I think you'd actually really like it. It's about a missionary family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it goes it t- goes some really interesting places. Her, her character, like the, it, you know, it's from different perspectives of different characters. And it's so beautifully written and so complex. The family dynamics are really good. And she also wrote a book called The Lacuna that I love. Cool. It, um... It's kind of a fictionalized story of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera and this cool. this houseboy essentially that's living with them, but all the political figures that like moved through their house in Mexico at this certain point in history. So mm. Barbara Kingsolver is great. And then I just read this Pulitzer Prize winning book from years ago called The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay by oh Michael Chabon. Oh my God, Chabon. that is amazing. Isn't it so good? Yes. It like goes so many different directions yes. that you don't expect. It's yeah. like, very funny but also has like that deep political undercurrent yes i loved it have you read this one Dean? no no i I read that one uh when ryan and i were backpacking before the juice truck Mm. and we're just like flying through books that was one of my favorite books i read on it was great yeah yeah great wreck Mm -hmm. and i also read the jonathan jonathan saffron for book on that trip so you're like uh interesting we're on the same timeline yeah, here. The, we Nepal, were... the nepal trip reading yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. i'm a i'm a big reader and um having a garden and a house that i'm updating has really gotten in the way of yes. my reading in the last year but i'm yeah. like usually like a 50 books a year and this year i'm well wow. behind my yeah so having had written your your first books when you were in uh, elementary school <laughs> would you ever want to pursue that yeah, I get asked that a lot. Um, me, maybe. Yeah. I don't. I, the idea hasn't like solidified for me yet, so that's TBD. TBD. Okay. <laughs> Amazing. You talked about your uh, en français punk rock oui, singing. Oui. Bien sûr. <laughs> <laughs> and you, uh, I know from before you mentioned uh, you had like kind of a punk phase. Oh yeah. Favorite favorite album or artist from like that era? Oh, this is so embarrassing. Um, I mean, there was this ska band that we all really loved called Five Iron Frenzy. Yeah. <laughs> you would know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Slick Shoes. You know, like all of the, um, what was that record label out of Seattle? That... Sub Pop. No, it was not Sub Pop. Sub Pop is the oh. non-Christian version. Um, there was a oh. Christian label out of... Was it of... Tooth and Nail? Tooth and Nail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I love yeah. that you know So that. I had all the Tooth and Nail compilations. <laughs> they put on a festival in Salem, Oregon. We oh, like man. drove a bunch of our youth group kids down overnight in a big van i was the chaperone we just like drank coffee for 36 hours to get them there and back in one (laughs) that's amazing yeah good times oh yeah we did the in and out trip so we would go from from richmond here and we would drive down to like mount shasta like swim in the lake hang out and then go to redding oh my crush in and out burger pre-vegan that is the most youth group thing and then drive back i've ever heard (laughs) it was like it was like a 34 hour burger run i know exactly what you're talking about and nobody did that except evangelical christian youth groups yes yes (laughs) it's true but they got john 360 on the the bottom of their cup it's like oh my god yeah you're basically evangelizing by eating that burger 
Yes. So funny. You guys um, need to do like a separate pod. Yeah, we do. <laughs> you know what? This. Actually, the only time this is a total digression. Our first hire at Monday was a guy from Texas named Cam, who also grew up in the evangelical church in, in Texas. Like, exact was in bands growing up. Like, yeah. would have played at the same festivals that I attended. We both were obsessed with a Disney movie, Newsies, when we were in oh, high yeah. school. Newsies was good. It was, Christian Bale, right? Oh yeah, that's yes. where it all started. <laughs> yes. Yeah, my kids just watched that this summer. It's so good. How's the song but, go? I know you know. How's the oh, song go? I mean, I can tell. I can say the whole movie that's start it. to that's back. <laughs> Which song? Do you want? You I know? know, like that main one with like. Yeah, that's the one I was looking for. <laughs> now it's time to seize the day. <laughs> you know? Oh man, my sister loved that movie. Oh yeah, that we all good. did. Okay, anyway, Cam and I had this very fully developed podcast idea called Jesus Music that was going to be an exploration of Christian contemporary music in the 80s and 90s. And it was going to start with, um, who's the like the hippie guy that with curly hair died in a car crash? Yeah, Um, uh, Steve Green? Steve Green, yeah. Is that right? It's so funny because I used to do like, like the, I would lead the music, people were like you have this vibe. What's his name? But it, it's anyway, not yeah. Steve Green. But but we the first episode was going to be like, okay, who's the Elvis of Christian contemporary? <laughs> like who is the the Godfather of Christian contemporary? Yes. And then the next episode was going to be about all, how we all shipped to use the language that the kids use, shipped Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith. Like you you wanted them to be together because he was like the the hot male singer of Christian contemporary and she was like the major female and then there was another one that was going to be um who was is... the Elvis who was the Elvis I'm so oh, curious Keith Green. Keith Green Keith Green and then there was the there was another guy who was also like one of the originators of Christian rock music oh man well there's like Michael W. Smith no it was more uh... like rockier Who's the, the DC Talk guys were pretty big for Oh, there that. was going to be another episode about like, DC Talk. Yeah. <laughs> you need to do this. We this were going to explore Jesus the freak. question, is Michael W. Smith the handsomest man in Christendom? This is like the big question, you know? Like, he still holds up. Not, yeah, he's, I feel like we've talked a lot about a lot of my celebrity crushes. Yeah, I feel them coming out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So who was the Elvis of Christian rock? We didn't we didn't record the episode, okay. so we didn't get to the bottom okay. of it. Okay, that'll... I think um, I was gonna make a case for Keith Green. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I feel like it. I feel like he had the mm-hmm. swag. He had that record cover where he has a lamb draped over yes. his shoulders, like Jesus. Yes. Yeah. So funny not being in the circle. Like I don't know what any of yeah. this is, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious. I'm like gonna go Google all of these no. things. Yeah, count yourself lucky. <laughs> <laughs> Songs for the Shepherd. That do you was remember, the um, Do you remember Carmen? He had this like helmet hair and he did a lot of like talk songs where he'd be like preaching oh, no. in the middle of a song. I'll probably send you some, yeah, some music videos afterwards. Petra was like yes. the, ro- the rock and roll. And so around that time I went through this dark, not, it was actually really wonderful. I went back into all the old Petra albums. Yeah. And when I first got my house on the coast, I couldn't get my Sonos to connect. I only had my old five disc CD player. Oh, amazing. So I went you way You still had back. a five disc CD oh, player, I had, too. It had been in a closet for 10 years. Amazing. I went way back into the Christian music archives. Oh, oh, that's amazing. That's so funny. Okay, staying on that music wave, we're in the rapid fire now. Mm, just so you mm-hmm. know. 
Um, you're a runner and mm-hmm. a hiker and an outdoor enthusiast. Do you uh, prescribe to playlists while you're running or do you go... I am uh, music free. I want to set my own rhythm. There you go. Yeah. I don't like talking while I run yeah. and I don't like listening. I, I people watch when I run yeah. and I look for mushrooms when I run. Yeah. Get go. into your own cadence. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Yeah. Um, I go back and forth. I kind of mm-hmm. sometimes if I want to run quicker, yeah. I put on music because I kind of just fall to the pace. But if, if I run on a treadmill, yeah, 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 then I'll listen to music. I'm I'm scared of treadmills. They're scary. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I've had some injuries. Yeah, really on yeah. treadmills. Yeah, yeah. But winter, you know, it gets dark. Yeah, it does it's not safe for a small girl? You'll have to come run with Dean and I sometime. Yeah. Just don't yeah, make no. me talk to you. That'll okay? break your rule. No you can listen to yeah, us. No talking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I like to these guys are weird. <laughs> yeah. You can keep an eye out for all the mushrooms. Yeah. Stop. There's one. <laughs> okay. Here's here's one random, a little bit deeper maybe. What's something that's hard for you right now? Or Ooh. what's something that you're learning? Oh, man. Um, I'm <laughs> I'm budgeting a yep. lot right yep. now. Yeah. Like I, this is the first time in a long time that I'm living exactly within my means. Yeah. I developed the habit of eating out a lot. And so saying no to things is is really hard. Yeah. Like still being social while not eating out. Amazing. That's a good, that's a good practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Had to catch up with a friend last night and very successful friend, lawyer, like has a big disposable income, but we just brought drinks to the park and he was like, isn't this better? And I was like, it is better. It is better. We got to be like, you know, talking with our hands and talking. We hadn't seen each other in a year and a half. Yeah. And so we just got to be our effervescent selves. And I'm like, I'm not disturbing anyone in a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. That's so great. Yeah. True connection. Um, so you, you do such awesome creative work in the world. If you can distill it down to like a moment, like a, just a moment or two, what, what would you say has been like some of the life lessons you've gotten from like working with people, finding their stories, finding their values? Like mm. how does that, how has that shaped you as a person? So I think the biggest life lessons maybe haven't necessarily come from the branding work that we do, but from having a team. Mm. There is a lot of humility that comes from having a team. We, When I onboard people to Monday, I make it really clear that when we started this business, like I'd only ever worked at one agency and a couple of brands. A lot of what we were doing, we were making it up as we went. And so I always say to people, like, give us feedback. There's better ways to do it. And my team takes that to heart. <laughs> They're very generous with their feedback. And and I, I, I ask for it all the time. Like, I definitely am like, what can we be doing better? And they will tell us. And it's like, there's the humility that comes from it. For sure. And it's not just hearing it. It's like, then you got to act on it. And so you have to make the time to make a plan mm-hmm. to act on it. And when there's two of you in a partnership, you also need to align on it. So like the humility of receiving feedback has been the biggest lesson, I think. Yeah, that's awesome, though. We could all we could all use a little more feedback in our lives and then acting on it, I think. Yeah. From, the, from the people that like have the right to speak it into us. I have noticed that the the bigger the team gets and maybe the longer I am the quote unquote boss, the more maybe like direct I get in how I ask things. And so it's finding this balance of like getting, keeping the business moving and um, being clear and decisive in my actions and not being a bully or mm. being too, too bossy. And so, um, you know, like I, I always think of this, um, 
this documentary that they did on Michael Jackson years and years ago where he's like out in Vegas or something and he is in a store that has this sarcophagus that is jewel encrusted and it's like just this ridiculous gilded thing that costs maybe like five hundred thousand dollars or something and he's like should I buy it and everyone around him is like yeah you should definitely buy it and so like not having accountability in your life makes you do stupid things <laughs> and I would like to continue to foster accountability you know it's not like Monday's that big it's not like mm-hmm. I have this wealth of power but I never want to be a person that because I'm the quote-unquote boss I am not taking into consideration what other people are saying to yeah. me yeah yeah that's really good I love that point on accountability mm-hmm I can be such a hype man, a yes man, like, yeah, <laughs> run that marathon, even though you haven't run any runs this year. Yeah. I mean, I support that. <laughs> yeah, sign up. I'll run can with do you. it. <laughs> yeah. That's how we get ourselves in trouble signing up for stuff. Part of being a boss is being a hype man. Yes. Like, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a part-time hype man. Yeah. It's one of the best parts are. of my job. Yeah, yeah. You can do it. Mm-hmm. All right, Dean, you want to close her out with our... Yeah, let's do it. So you've listened to a few of our pods. Yeah. We always end with a question, same question, but it comes across differently depending on who is in the chair. And we call the podcast a little more good because we love what that represents for us, knowing that it's kind of open-ended. And so we just love to know, like, what does that phrase conjure up? What does that mean for you? How does it resonate a little more good? Yeah. For like, I mean, the business is all consuming for me right now. And so it's always going to come back to how we run the business. Yeah. And I think it's modeling... Um, like generous business practices, being kind, communicating. I've seen, you know, I've been in enough business contexts where there's politics because people don't communicate or they're not, they don't have the humility to go right to the source and have a conversation about things. So, you know, if I think about like a legacy of good that I leave behind, I want it to be like really good, generous business practices, whether our clients are getting that experience, like the Monday being the brightest day of their week because they've had that touch point with us, or my team looking back and saying, that was the best place I ever worked, and I'm going to shape my next workplace around this culture that they created. Hopefully that's something that I can leave behind. Yes, that's awesome. The positive trail, the legacy. I'll be celebrating Mondays just a little bit harder because of you and these conversations. I, so I feel like you guys like Mondays. I love Mondays. Start of the week, you know. Yeah. Well, thank you for, for what you do, for the space that you hold and create, and, and for making time to chat with us today. We're, we're grateful for you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. All right, Dina. How's your brand? How's your story? Man. How are you feeling about the Diener brand? I tell you, I don't know. Maybe I could use a little help. A little, well, yeah, a little rebrand, a little, little refresh. A little nudge in the right direction, tell that story, you yeah. know, align with my with my values and purpose and, and yeah. tell the story that matches those things. Yeah. I maybe I maybe reaching out to Amanda and the team at uh, Monday Creative. You guys are both exploring your human potential, you know? I think well, there is brand alignment. It's true. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know I don't know what I bring to the table, but so Maybe much, Dean. Don't sell yourself short. <laughs> it's true. Maybe that's my you're, rebrand. You're a lot more good, my friend. Boom. Oh, wow. Thank you. <laughs> Coming soon. Podcast. <laughs> Better than a little more good. <laughs> a lot more good. Just get rid of that Zach guy. That's just Dean. Keeping us down. The pod you've all been waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> the new story. The new brand. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. We dropped the dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Not even so, close. This is my last sign off, guys. Uh, no, it's so good. I, um, I love it. Yeah. So much energy, such a creative 
thoughtful, strategic, but warm person. You know, sometimes you get someone who's all direction and it feels like it lacks that human connection. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that is not the case, man. It's just so warm, easy to connect with and just, uh, clearly can see how she just would help elevate brands and be able mm -hmm. to yeah share stories that are meaningful and help people like get out there yeah connect with their people because I, I, when you summarize things we're all just it's all just a story we're mm -hmm. all stories history you know it's the stories we tell yeah. the myths the you know it's all stories the books we love the movies we love the tv shows the brands it's all stories so mm -hmm. if we can connect to stories with purpose and value and tell stories with intention yeah. then uh you know there's a lot of doors that can open totally and i and i even love how she reminded us through the conversation of like sharing sharing stories uh that are important to us but also reframing them like stories of our childhood of things we grew up with spirituality those you know church and how we, we jammed on that for a while i just love how it like it can empower us, but it can also maybe uh, limit us. Mm -hmm. And so as we grow and age, like understanding the role that those stories play and like revisiting them and maybe retelling or, or being restoried mm -hmm. in the process. And yeah, so, so good sharing that conversation with her too. Okay, before we wrap up, what were the first kind of books in your, your formidable years that you remember? Like for me, I remember like Bruce Colville, like Alienate My Homework. And... Oh, yeah. uh, choose your own adventure yes. what were those called like uh yeah yeah there's a few different like, like choose your own adventures or goosebumps or something like that i say for me like uh when i think back to the time when i like really started to kind of become like uh, a reader on my own and it wasn't just yes. for like school projects or whatever yeah it was like those rl stein goosebumps series stein, yeah. that was the thing it was kind of like these spooky stories yeah but everyone was into them, and I remember as like whatever grade five, six, seven, like just reading, like book after book after book after book, because yeah. it was almost like uh, now how we like binge watch shows, yes, because we all were talking about it, and you didn't want to be the last one to read it, because like you didn't want to know the story before it came out, so we'd like get them from the Scholastic Book Fair, oh my gosh, and just burn through, and they were like they're really just like short stories, but as a kid you feel like you're reading this novel. And then I remember the first book that I was like, wow, I just read a real book. I was in grade six and I read The Hobbit. Oh, that is, that's a real book. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember being like, wow, like that's yeah. a thick grown up book. Yeah. And I read that and I liked it, you know? And so. That's amazing. But yeah. Did you read like Farley Mowat? Do you remember reading Farley Mowat books? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. I was in, in Roald Dahl. I was into Roald those Dahl, ones too. Yeah. I'm reading all those with Naya now. All the Roald Dahl they're books. They're good, right? They're fine. I think man. they're good for grownups too. I've yeah, reread yeah, yeah. re some as a grown-up and i'm like this yeah. is good like i like this as a yeah. grown man as much as i did as a kid i know although some of the it's interesting to see because it's like Roald doll books were like even older like yes. when we were kids and to see how some of it has aged and mm. some of it has like not aged like yes. you know well some of the language and stuff i would like read it to her and like not to like censor it but i'm like mm, i'll choose a different word oh yes yeah, same with like, like even the kids books i read for my boys like yeah. uh the most famous like uh like uh i can't even remember like the paper bag princess where, yeah, yeah, who, yeah. who wrote all those ones oh um robert munch robert munch like there's a lot of like uh in inappropriate language yeah. now and i like changed the words i'm yeah. like i know man, it's different it's different different time but, but anyway the stories we tell man no the stories we tell yeah okay okay here until, we go until next time everyone <laughs> thanks for listening if you liked Amanda uh, and everything she was sharing on this uh, episode, be sure to check her out 
online on the Instagram uh, and definitely at mondaycreative.com. Uh, Check her out there and all the work that they do. Really appreciate her being with us. So yeah, feel free to uh, like, share, subscribe wherever you listen. And uh, thanks for being with us. See you next time. Peace. Peace. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.